This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. So, so a rabbi told me a story this week. I think we'll start off with this. Um, and we're learning with Fushalema from Machla Basgolda, and the story has to do with her. And he told me the following story that a woman that he knows very well, it's a part of his kehila. So her mother, her mother is very, very sick. Very, very sick. She has cancer. And they're not giving her that much time. It has nothing to do with them because they don't give time. Hashem gives time. And the following, she, she tells her rabbi like this. She says, you know, I'm religious and I'm married to a religious man and I have religious children. But I, but I want you to come talk to my mother because my mother's story is a little different than my story. What's her mother's story? Mother's story is her mother was born from Jewish parents. This, her mother's father died when her, she was uh, 8 years old or 11 years old, a young girl. And she was alone. She had a mother and her father died. She, she had no siblings, I don't think. So she was very alone. At that time, uh, these Jews for Jesus were in a great existence. And you're talking a long time ago. But, well, maybe they weren't called Jews for Jesus, whatever, they're Christianity. And they had a camp. And this mother who had just lost her husband, you're talking a long time ago, this woman's in her 80s. So you're talking 70 years ago. So they lived in New York, and there was no way that a kid could go to camp, but there was a Christian camp. So and this girl, the mother had no money. She had just lost her husband in those days. There was no one to really take care. So the Christian church, you know, approached her and said, you know, we'll take your kid to camp. And this woman went to camp. Now, she was 8 years old, from what I believe. And she was in a lot of pain. She had just lost her father. And the Christians, uh, I don't know if they were nuns or priests or whatever, talked into this young eight-year-old girl that Yashka, Jesus, was going to take care of her. So she would go every night to sleep, and she would pray. This is a Jewish girl, right? She would pray to Yashka. And, um, and she felt that he came every night to take care of her. And this is how she grew up, but quietly. She didn't tell anybody because she was a Jew. So she didn't tell anyone. But this daughter who called the rabbi, who asked the rabbi to come to the hospital and give her a blessing, this daughter knew, and her mother was in the 80s, her 80s. This daughter knew her mother's secret. Now her mother ended up getting married to a Jewish man. They got divorced. So pretty much this woman lost her father, got divorced, was alone pretty much her whole life. But she said, she told her daughter secretly, I made it through my life because I had Yashka. And I had Yashka with me all the time. Wherever I went, he was with me, took care of me. So this Jewish girl, daughter, who called her rabbi to come help her mother, was living this life knowing that her mother all the time was looking like a Jewish woman, but was praying to, to Yashka, to Jesus. Anyway, her mother's very sick, in a coma, out of coma. She's in a nursing home. And all she wanted was if her mother could just say Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. Now, of course, her mother doesn't pray Jewish because all her life she's been praying quietly in her house to the other guy. And um, so the rabbi came and he comes into the room and the woman is fast asleep. Yeah, you know, I'm going to bother an old woman. She's she's a semi-coma in, out. Uh, Anyway, he stands there. And this is how he tells it over to me. 
he stands there and he closes his eyes and he knows he can't talk to her because she's in a coma sort of and he starts to think Hashem's name Yudke Vavke and through Machshavi he starts to try to throw it into her head into her into her soul she's a Jewish and that's what I'm talking about because we're going to have some stories here tonight that are amazing and he's like wake up wake up you know he wants to, he wants to, because I don't know the guys most of you weren't in my Chabur at the time but a couple of years ago I was telling you the story of someone that I know very well whose grandfather came to him after he died and his grandfather had not kept Shabbos and kosher whatever nothing but there was a minion of men in the grandfather's room saying Kriyashma when the grandfather died and the grandfather said that all the Malachi Chabola when a person dies all the evil Malachim who want to hurt the soul couldn't get near as bad as he was he didn't keep Shabbos he didn't keep kosher he was not a good you know a good man did a lot of things that you weren't supposed to do and all these malachim were waiting to hurt the neshama so he told his grandson that because the Shema Yisrael was said with him before he died that the Shema Yisrael protected him he went he had, you know, he had, his, he had a lot of stuff I don't know if you remember the Chabura it was an amazing Chabura because he was mamish telling his grandson what was happening in the grave and it, it was amazing and I happen to know that the whole story was very true because I know the grandson very well and stuff he was describing nobody else Nobody would know unless from the other world. And I gave this Chabur, I don't know if you were here at the time, it was, it was amazing Chabur. I was just repeating what this guy was telling me. And his grandfather said that they could not touch him when he died, they could not touch his soul because, because Kriyashma was sitting in the room. That's the power of Kriyashma. So this rabbi was like, you know, if I could just get her to say Kriyashma. But she's fast asleep and he's about to leave. And all of a sudden this lady starts coughing and she wakes up. And he goes over to her and he says, um, I would like to say the Jewish Shema Yisrael with you and a person when they're in a coma they're already halfway there we're in and out they're in a Shema you have to understand something the Shema of a Jew always and will always know that Hashem Echad Echad you could do whatever you want you could become a Christian you could do every sin in the world it cover, uh, neshama cannot be destroyed. The Goyim have tried forever and ever to destroy neshamas. You can't destroy a neshama. It's not destructible. What you could do is you can cover it up. You can take a diamond, right? And you may not be able to break a diamond, but you can cover it up with mud and more mud and more mud and wrappings and nobody will know, nobody knows it's a diamond. You can cover it up with filth. And neshama can never be destroyed. If anyone can tell you that, I can tell you that. Because I have seen some neshamas go to the Tahim. To the bottom, at the bottom, at the bottom, and and come out. And all you need to do is to give them a little bit of ray of light, and and and, and the shama can explode. Can can I don't mean explode. Can just can open up. You cannot destroy the shama because the neshama is part of God, and God is indestructible. The shama nishmas a person's neshama is a part of God, right? If we look in the psukim, it says like Hashem blew the ruach, right? Hashem blew the ruach into the person. And the Ruach, that's the Neshama. Now, if Hashem blew the Ruach, where did the Ruach come from? It doesn't say a Ruach blew into the person. So the Kishboch who blew the Ruach. So if someone's lying dead or out, and I give him mouth to mouth, right, and I breathe into his chest, ear, where's the ear coming from? It's coming from me. So now my ear is going into his chest, which gives him life. So if you look in the Pasuk, the Pasuk is very clear not like Hashem created a person, plugged him in, right? And, and, and he started walking. He was dead. He was a piece of clay. There was nothing going on. The Kashbahu, listen carefully. It's very important. We have to all know this about ourselves. 
Hashem formed a man of dust from the ground. And he blew into his nostrils Nishmas Chaim. A Nishama that is living. And after Hashem did that, then the person became a living being. Not just physically, but spiritually and physically have to run together. Once your neshama is out of your body, you're dead. If your neshama goes out of your body, you're dead. Now, every human being, every person, we have this neshama, especially us, and then there's a whole mission of Perkyavos, because Baruch blew this neshama into us, and that neshama cannot be destroyed. You can do whatever you want to it. So this woman, this rabbi knew that as much as she prayed to Yashka since she's 8 years old, she's 86. It's almost 80 years she's praying to, to Yashka, right? The neshama didn't change. The neshama is still a neshama. So you got to get to the neshama and you got to say, wake up, I'm here, we got to talk to you. Not always, not always do you have to talk to someone to wake up their neshama. Sometimes... Neshama talk is not talk. Neshama talk is machshava. Thinking, thoughts. Sometimes you can help a person. You have a machshava toiva. When you, when you, when you, when you think about that person, you think Hashem should help them. There's this there's, of course, there's words. There's also thought. And, and he was trying to penetrate her soul because she was, when she was out, he was trying to penetrate and just put Yudke Vavke, you were thinking Yudke Vavke, just to put it in there, just, let's just give it like a jump start, you know, like a, like when they do that with the heart, and the heart stops. Anyway, she opens her eyes. He's telling me the story. Mama, this is what happens. She opens the eyes, and he walks over to her, and he says, I want you to repeat after me, because she can't say Hebrew. And he says, Shma! Meh. Shma! Meh. She doesn't want to say it. She doesn't want to say it. So he looks at her, he tells me, I look at her, and I mamish see the other side. She's so full of Yashka and Tumba, because Yashka, whatever is, I'm on, I don't know, I have to be careful where you show this, but, but it's, but it's Tumba. And, and there's a lot of Tumba. And they serve the Tumba. And there's stuff like it, I can't even tell you. But it's not as simple as you think. It's not just as simple as you think. What goes on in the catacombs of the Vatican, Avoid the Zara, this Toma is serving the other side. It's not just a religion that it looks like. But she had all this Toma and he felt, I can't, I can't, you can't get someone to say Shema because the other side knows that if she says Shema, she's totally saved from that other Chevra, no matter what she did till then. So he turns to Hashem and he says, Hashem, I can't do this without you. Listen. She was eight years old, she lost her father. It wasn't her fault. Eight years old, she was sent to a camp by her mother. It wasn't her Bechira. She was sent to a camp by her mother. These guys, you know, put this all in her head. Then she gets married to a Jew, and he leaves her. Just let her say Shema. Just give her a break, let her say Shema. So he bends over again. Listen carefully. He bends over again, and he says, Just repeat this after me, please. Shema. She goes, Shema. Yisrael. Yisrael. Ado. Ado. Elo. Right? He's saying Shema Yisrael. Hashem Elkein. Hashem. Ado. She says, Ado. Echad. She says, Echad. He says, now just say. No matter what you've been taught, no matter what you know, 
there's only one God and no one else. And she goes, there's only one God and there's no one else. And she looks up at the rabbi and she says, now this is a woman who was in a coma, who was in, who was out, who for 80 years, no Shema, no God, right? Turns to the rabbi and says, thank you. This is a proof, and I'm going to tell you some stories tonight. Everyone here has to know that no matter what a Jew is or becomes or how far he falls, the neshama of a Jew cannot be destroyed. And the bottom line, if the neshama of a Jew can be reached to say Shema Yisrael one time in their life, that alone saves that neshama in the next world from who knows what. So if you know someone that hasn't said Shema Yisrael in a very, very long time, a relative, an old person, maybe you go to nursing homes, not someone that was Christian, that he's Jewish, and you can walk over and you can say, hey, did you say Shema today? And the guy says, no. Or a woman or an old woman say, say Shema with you. You don't know. You might be saving her soul. But if Mamish shows us the power of a Jewish soul, that this woman was so, she knows already. He turns to her and he goes, you know the truth, don't you? Because she said, thank you. What do you say thank you for? What do you say thank you for? He says, you know the truth, don't you? And she shook her head. I know the truth. They can smear us and put all the garbage, guys. They could sell you whatever they want in America all your magazines and all the garbage you listen to and all the bluff you listen to and they could pile you up with all this stuff but I'm telling you that whether you like it or not it's just too bad too bad Hashem gave you a Jewish neshama and you can't get away from it so stop running away from it because it's not going to go away and don't wait until you're on a sickbed in a coma to say Shema Yisrael because you have to have a schus this woman has a schus Maybe this rabbi davened Hashem and, and maybe that was the schuss. She had to have a schuss to say Shema Yisrael because there's a lot of people who die who don't say Shema Yisrael. And I can't tell you how many people in the gas chamber who, who did not, were not religious, who were anti-religious, but when they stood in the gas chamber before they dropped the pellets that killed the six million Jews, the, the thing that, and, and, and he's going to speak, I hope to get him over here, but he spoke, he spoke by the girls last year. This man who, who was in Auschwitz who is, was three times in the crematorium. Three times, and he got out. No, not Jack Rats. Three times, he came from the Lutz ghetto. Spoken out in the girl, he said, "The one thing you heard in the gas chamber before all the Jews died was Shema Yisrael." Didn't matter, religious, not religious, married to a Jew, married not married to a Jew, didn't make a difference. Whoever was in that gas chamber when the pellet fell and they knew that there was just seconds, they were gasping for breath. Everybody said Shema Yisrael because a Jew is a Jew. And you could be American and a Shmerican and you could be black culture and green culture and a Yankee fan and a Mets fan and, a, and, a, and you could go play cards and you could go hang out with girls and you could go to clubs and you could take off your yarmulke and you could take off your tzitzes and you could grow your hair and you could put on earrings and you could wear tattoos and you can look and do whatever you want. You can't get away from it. It's too freaking bad. You can't get away from it. You have a Jewish neshama and you can't destroy it. You can't destroy it. You can pile on it dirt and filth and put everywhere you want it but you can't destroy it. And I think that that's maybe what the real Gehenna is in the next world. What hell is, when you find out what you had and you didn't use. What you had and what you abused. I think, I think that's maybe the biggest part of Gehenna. Is that realization at the end of life, when you come to the next world, the wasted time and the waste of this special thing, Hashem blew from Himself an Hashemah into you. He didn't say... Okay, let's take this off the wall and put it into him. 
Hashem bent down to Adam and he blew his neshama, part of him. Right? That's the problem. In every single one of us, there's God. No? So how many of us are acting like there's God in us? And how many of us are acting like there's the devil in us? It doesn't say the devil blew a Ruach Chaim into all of us. That didn't happen. That's what we maybe some of us wish would have happened, but that's not what happened. The devil didn't blow nothing into all of us. We run after him. He doesn't have to run. I said his job, he's so, he's mamish. He's sitting in the Bahamas. The Yetzirah, he's sitting in the Bahamas. He is, this last hundred years, he doesn't go, he doesn't work anymore. He's unemployed. I'm serious. <laughs> and I can tell you which island he's sitting, which beach. He's hanging out. He doesn't have to do anything. It used to be that he has to chase you, do this on Vero, do this on Vero. Look at the, I got this girl. You got to go here. You got to go there. And you're like, no, leave me alone. I want to go to learn. Right? He used to work day and night on guys. Today, he's in the Bahamas. We're looking for him. Hey, where are you? You know, I'm on the internet. Where can I find you? This site, that site. This is not dirty enough. Oh, this, oh, this is a good site. Where are you, man? Well, I got to find you. We look for him. He's unemployed. He's like, hey. I don't got to sell nothing anymore. They're buying without me selling. Everyone's looking for him. It's true. He used to have to work very hard. He used to come to you and schlep you and beg you and twist you and fool you and trick you to, you know, make you think you're going here and you end up going there. Now, it's like the Reader's Digest. Everyone subscribes. You know, Yitzhahara lives out there and wherever. I don't know where he's died. Everybody subscribes to him. He doesn't have to come after you at all. Nebuch. Nebuch So it's because we don't understand that because Baruch Hu himself Gave us a part of him. Everyone in this room has a part of God. So what are you doing with it? So that's the part that we're ashamed of. That's the spirituality. A girl came to my office today. She called me. It's, it's funny, you know, whatever. No complaints, but like, you know, Rev Wallstein, I can only meet you at 2 o'clock last week, Monday. I said, I can't have an appointment. Okay, I'm sorry, then I can't meet you. Okay, what should I do? Next day, but I can meet you at Wednesday from 9.30 till 10. I'm like, I, you, can't, I can't, you can't keep me on such a schedule. Anyway, so this morning, finally, she said, Wallace, I can meet you from 9.30 to 10.30. I said, but you know, I'm going to sleep very late. I don't know if I'm going to be, well, you have to be, because if you're not going to be at 9.30, I'm not going to meet you. I'm like, one second, who's doing who a favor? <laughs> who's meeting who here? Exactly, you know? Okay, anyway. She came to my office this morning. I don't want to get off the subject for too long. She came to my office this morning. She came to talk to me. A special, special girl. Never went to yeshiva. Went to public school. A Yiddish face. You could see, you know, a, a beautiful face, a holy face, a spiritual face. She's 21 years old. And she says, I got a lot of problems. I've gone through a lot of things. A lot of guys have hurt me. I'm like, yeah, okay. Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the guy world. You know, like, big surprise. I said, yeah, what is it? She's not trying to give She doesn't even know from it, right? I tried to explain to her that... Shemini Gia is Hashem's present to women um, so that they know that the guy that marries them that they're dating for four months and he can't touch her she knows that she loves, he loves her not her body so I Kodesh Baruch Hu did that for them not because we're mean rabbis and we don't want you know girls to touch boys that's not what it's about Kodesh Baruch Hu did it as a protection for girls to understand that the guy is a hunter and he's only interested in one thing sorry guys but that, you know that's how guys are and therefore how do you know what, that he's not interested only in that one thing by him not touching you. If you can go out for four months with a guy and he didn't touch you and he still wants to marry you, that means it's not your body that he wants. It means it's, it's your soul. It's who you are. And they're always like, Rabbi, could you tell me, is this my soulmate? And I'm like, if you're touching him on the date, how do you want me to answer that question? 
He's your body mate, but he's not your soul mate. How exactly do you want me to answer that he's your soul mate? He's my soul mate. So you want to find him if he's your soul mate? You go out with him for four months. No touchy. And we'll see if his soul wants to be with your soul. We'll see what's going on. You know? And that's... And, and, and that's the Torah. And that's, that's why I'm not going to give the shit that I gave in Queens. And that's how I am in Kodeshesli. So when you stand on the chuppah, a guy says to her, it's not about your body. It's you are holy to me. You are holy to me. Holy is not physical. Holy is a spiritual word. word. So I, told, I said to the girl, so of course she was hurt. So she's, she's a girl that never went to yeshiva. So she had this boyfriend, that boyfriend. I right away said two to three boyfriends. This can't be one boyfriend. Because for sure, a guy didn't wait till you're 19 to hurt you. Short 14, right? You know, the 17-year-old hunter, right? He's looking for the 14-year-old girl. And the 19-year-old hunter is looking for the 16-year-old girl. And the 21-year-old hunter, you know, we know how to hunt. We have, you know, all our different traps, depending on how old you are. We set up our different traps. And that book, she was very, very hurt. So she said to me, I came here today because I'm really messed up and I want you to help me. But! I don't want to be religious. <laughs> I said, I, I didn't say you, I, I, I didn't mention religion. No, 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 no. But I'm telling you right now, I don't want to be religious. So I was listening, and I'm listening to this girl, I'm like, he has an ashama. This is a holy kid, right? She's gone through hell. She comes from a family that's not religious. She never went to yeshiva. She's been abused by, who knows, I don't know how many guys, right? She's had a tough life. And why is she coming in? And the first thing she's saying, I don't want to be religious. What are you so scared of? What is like? What does that mean to you? What does religion mean? So I said to her, "Well, if you're scared of something, then you must know what it is, right? No one here is scared of ice cream, right? Because you know what ice cream is. We might be scared of other things, right?" I said, "What does that? What does that mean to you?" And I understood. I understood from her saying, "I don't want to be religious." Her saying, "I really want to be religious, but I'm scared." I read right through it, and I understood what she was saying. Because there's no neshama that really means I don't want to be religious. There's no such thing. Because that means that this nishmas chayim, that by yiprach ba'apav, that came from God, came from God and is saying, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Can't happen. Can't be. Can't be. If it came from me, if I'm what gave you life, right, without all the other garbage that's on you and in you, you know you came from me. You want to be with me. Of course. So here was this girl that was so full of schmutz, so full of the stuff that they taught her in public school, so full of the boys that told her who knows what, so full of all the other the styles and, and the way she came dressed today, whatever, and all the stuff that, that I understood from looking at her, that she was all for schmutz and for chikt and for gig, that she came to me and she's saying, Rabbi, I want you to help me, but I don't want to be religious. I read, help me, help me, help me, help me. I want to be religious, but, I, but I'm scared. It means Shabbos. It means kosher. It means no boys. It means no, no this, no, no, no black music, no this music. And Shabbos, I can't smoke and I can't do this. It means so many restrictions. That's so scary. It's so scary. But her neshama is saying, it's scary, but it's me. It's who I am. So get to that rabbi and get it done. And at the end of the whole discussion, right? At the end of the whole discussion, I didn't talk about Shabbos. I didn't talk about anything. I said to her, Anu, so you still don't want to be religious? She said, I'm scared. I said, scared is fear. The butterfly is scared also to jump off the leaf before that knows it has wings. I understand what I understand that you're scared. But what I learned from this story, and I'm going to read it to you now, what I learned from the story of this older woman is that no matter, imagine 80 years in Christianity, secretly in your house, thinking that when you were a little kid, that he was there all the time for you. 
That's what they told him. When you're in pain, he's there. Talk to him. He'll always be there for you. Yeah, he'll be there for you. Where he is, he can't help anybody. That's for sure. Trust me, that's for sure. So, the Gemara talks about it. Okay. Anyway, you got to be careful what you show here. Little, little uh, text we have to little in and out. Anyway. So, let's get to this. Yeah, you see, sometimes Jerry uh, Walston has to talk without, without things on. Okay, anyway. So, this week's Pasha's Pasha's Matthews talks about Nidorim. Talks about promises. A lot of guys make promises. Promises, promises, and they don't keep it. And then I, one kid said to me, I swear my mother's grave. I'm like, are you nuts? First of all, I knew he was, first of all, I knew he, I knew he was lying. So I'm like, and then I said to him, what do you mean your mother's grave? She's alive. <laughs> so he swore a lot. He was lying right there. He was telling me he's swearing on his mother's grave. His mother's alive. What are you swearing on? He says, no, it's an expression. It's not an expression. Be very careful. Be careful comes out of your mouth. It's a, it's a saying that's used a lot. The, 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 the rappers use it a lot when they want to prove what they're saying. Like, yeah, man, I swear my mother's grave, man. Right? You have to be careful. You're not allowed to talk like that. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to make a promise. You're not allowed to swear. It's a very big punishment for a promise that uh, you're, not allowed, you're not allowed to promise and you're not allowed to swear. And definitely not on somebody. To swear on somebody, I swear by my mother. I swear. You're not allowed to do that. It's very, very bad. So I want to tell you a story. Tonight's a night of stories. Um, I've been really tough on you guys for the last couple of months. So tonight we'll tell you some stories. I'm not tough on you tonight, right? It's easy. It's an easy share. Okay. Get your souls out. Get them out. Clean it up, man. Clean your souls already. It's enough with that schmutz. Clean it off. Especially in the summer. You got new schmutz you got to clean off. All right. Sorry for scaring you. <laughs> so there's a story from Rabbi Yitzchak Mabadichev. Anyone ever hear of Rabbi Yitzchak Mabadichev? All his, well, he was big, big in Klai's role. No matter what you did wrong, he always found something good in what you did. So I would have liked him as my Rosh Hashiva, that's for sure. Anyway, so he was, um, he was a male. And... Um, his daughter had a baby, and in the morning, when they finished davening, so they came to his daughter's house, and the, the minute was to do the bris mila early in the morning, and the Madishabu Rav went into a room, he said, I'll be out in a couple of minutes, and I'll do the bris, and he went into this room, and he stayed there for four hours. Now they're waiting, the baby's sitting there, the party's sitting there, the people are sitting there, and the Rav ain't coming out to do the bris. He's in the room for four hours. You can imagine the baby wasn't so happy. Nobody was happy. Anyway, he's there for four hours, and everybody was losing their patience. And they said, maybe the rub doesn't want to do the bris today. Maybe there's something wrong. Maybe we should go home. Should we stay here? What should we do? <coughs> of course, the father of the child and the mother of the child were very upset. And they saw that the people that came to the bris are leaving. And everybody left, except for a minion. You needed, they needed a minion. So there was a minion left. The Medici Rav was in his room, and there was a minion left. That's it. Okay. Anyway, he walks out after four hours. He, he sits, he goes, he walks over to the child, and he gives the child a bris. Doesn't say anything to anyone. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Why it took four hours? There's only a minion there. Doesn't ask where everybody go. Comes out, does the bris. Now it comes to give the name. So that his, this is his daughter. So this is his son-in-law. You know, when you, when you give the name, so they whisper in the person who gives the name, they whisper the name, right? Anyway, the son-in-law is about to whisper the name, and the Vizitra Rav says, and his name is Yehuda Leib. 
And the song goes, ah, ah, ah. No, Yehuda Lane finished the rep. Once you name the name, you can't change your mind, right? Four hours, comes out, and says, okay. Nope, you don't uh, argue with the Rav, right? Anyway, so after the Milo, they make the Suda. Anyway, so the Chassan, the, the, the father of the child, gets up and he says to the, the Ditch of Rav, he says, I have two questions. Number one, why did you make us wait for four hours? And number two, what is this you gave a name without asking me? Yehuda Leib. Who's Yehuda Leib? We don't have Yehuda Leib in our family. Where did Yehuda Leib come from? Listen carefully to what the Badisha Rav answers. And he says the following. He says, when I came to this bris, and I came with my wagon, he said, I saw a very black cloud. And in this black cloud above the house where we're going to have the bris, there was a lot of stuff going on. I couldn't see what's going on in the black cloud, but there was a, it looked very, a very scary cloud above the house. He said, so I went into my room to hear what's going on. And I went into a trance, and I listened to, in Shemayim, what's going on behind the curtain. It's called the Pragda, Shalkaidish, the curtain. That's like the curtain to get into the next world. He said, I, w- I wanted to hear, he was a big rebel. He said, I wanted to hear what's going on. He said, and I heard that a big tzaddik died, and his name was Rabbi Hudalev, from this town called Apta. And it was amazing. He said, tzaddikim, thousands of tzaddikim came out of Gan Eden. Now, I don't know what this means, but whatever it means, with, with tupim, bimchaylais, with, with um, flutes and, um, and drums, uh, whatever they're called, with the little bells on them, tambourines, flutes and tambourines, to be makabel, this neshama of this Yehuda Leib. And they took him on the way to Ganeiden. But on the way to Ganeiden, even a tzaddik has to go through Gehenim. You have to walk through Gehenim to get to Ganeiden. And there are reasons that I brought down. One of the reasons is that even the tzaddik, it's very deep. And as Mamish talks about, it's, it's very deep, but it explains the connection between every Jew. You know, it says that we're all connected to each other. So they make the tzaddik, no matter how big he is, walk through Gehenna and see the Jews that are suffering. Because maybe he could have made a difference. This week's parasha, Matas Amasai, talks about the Ari Miklot. The Ari Miklot, if somebody killed someone by accident, so the, the relatives are allowed to kill him. So there's a city that he runs to, it's called Ari Miklot, and there no one's allowed to touch him. And he remains, it's like a prison. He has to remain in that city until the Kayin Gadol dies. When the Kayin Gadol dies, then he goes free. So when the Kayin Gadol dies, and the, the whole class is crying, this guy is laughing, he's free. Why does the Kayin Gadol dying have anything to do with this guy going free? And the answer is, it's a punishment for the Kayin Gadol, because when he's a Kayin Gadol, nobody should have been able to be killed. If he was doing what he was supposed to do, and he was davening, and he was as holy as he should, then nobody should have died. It's a famous story of Shimba Yechayin. The Gemara talks, uh, he, he, they asked him about a certain tzaddik, how big a tzaddik is. He said, was there ever a rainbow while he was alive? He asked him, was there ever a rainbow while you were alive? And he said, yes. He said, then you don't deserve to go to Gan Eden. Because a rainbow means that the world should have been destroyed, and it wasn't destroyed, because Hashem has pity on us. So Shimba Yechayin asked him, so they say you're a big tzaddik. Was there ever a rainbow? Because if there was a rainbow when you were alive, means that you weren't, didn't do enough for Klai because Klai should have been destroyed. Rishim Ba'ichel, there was never a rainbow. From the day he was born to the day he died, there was never a rainbow. Well, we say a bracha on the rainbow. We say a bracha on the rainbow, thanking Hashem, that he didn't destroy the world. But you're not supposed to tell someone else that there's a rainbow. And it's a bad sign, not a good sign. It means Hashem is angry. 
So the Gemara says that the person who told Rabbi Shimei Chai that there, there was a rainbow in his lifetime only told him that because he didn't want to be a Balgaiva in the next world. Understand? And that really there was never a rainbow in his life either. But in the next world, because in the next world you are what you are here. So if you're a big honor and you don't, you're not a Balgaiva, then you can't go up there and say things about yourself. If you don't say things about yourself here, but if your whole life, <laughs> you know who I am. You know how much money I make. You know, <laughs> I'm a better ball player and I'm smarter. And look at my wife. She's pretty. Look at your wife. <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> Check it out. You know, I'm there. I live in the <laughs> You know, I live in a very fancy town. So in the next world, all you walk around all day is, <laughs> you know who I am? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we know who you are. Because now we see who you really are. But you can't help it. As, as, as black and as whatever you look like, you're walking around and you're telling everyone, you know who I am? And you're like, you sound like a stupid tape recorder. But you know who I am? Because if that's how you act here, that's how you act there. Yeah. Scary. Wait till we get to that Akaviyasha. Then we'll see how many guys comes back to my share in about, in about, in about five, six weeks. About whatever Avera you do here shows in the next world. Ooh, what a Akaviyasha. And you can't hide it. Person who talks such and her, his lips are hanging to the floor. Person who looks at girls when he's not supposed to, his eyes are hanging to the floor and he can't hide it. And wherever he walks, they say, Oh, you look at this person. Do I have to go any further? No. Good. <laughs> but the Kaviyasha does, and he's very graphic, and it's very sick, and it's very scary, and it's very, embar- <clears throat> and it's very embarrassing. And I'm figuring right after that, I should have two or three guys left, that's it. <laughs> All right, anyway, so in the next world, you can't lie. There's no lie. And they see what you are. And the busha, and that's what explains busha, you turn red. That's fire. That's also the oirish of Gehenim. The busha in the next world. So if we do things we're not supposed to, let's do tshuva as soon as we can. Because we never know when we're going to get to the next world. And, we, and, and it says very interesting though, but a person who has yira from Hashem, who fears Hashem and who believes in Hashem, a person who has a moon in Hashem, even if those organs in his body that he used to do averos are long and black, so that everybody can see what Averis he did with which organs in his body. But the Amunah that he has in Hashem puts a cloak, a cloak, like a, like a cape, that covers it. So only he knows what, what's underneath. Everybody knows there's something going on underneath. That's why he has that cape, but they don't know what. And therefore he's safe from the Busha. The Kaviyashi says the person has the Amunah in Hashem. Hashem, the Amunah that you have in Hashem protects you. Hashem doesn't want you to be embarrassed in the next world. Even in the next world, it covers everything probably a cape that covers your face even whatever but it covers the whole and I know someone that was whatever a very very great man who, who said he saw a tzaddik and he saw what he was wearing in the next world it has a lot to do with what you do in this world okay but anyway there, there's a cloak it's called the cloak of Amuna. a person who really believes in Hashem he gets this cloak that even if he did have various with organs whatever he ran to the wrong places he had huge black feet or whatever it is and everybody could see that he was always running to the wrong places they're covered they're covered all the way to the ground you can't see the person's feet okay I'm laying a lot of stuff on you this week but I'm on film, so hey. Okay. So, anyway, listen to what happens. So, they have to go through Gehenna because the Tzaddikim have to see even the people that are suffering from their generations because maybe they could have made a difference. Nope. So, they're walking on the way. Now, this Tzaddik, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, is walking with all the other Tzaddikim and all of a sudden he jumps. And and he's walking in this like street, you know, from Gehenna to to Ganadin, and he jumps off the street into Gehenna. And you're the way, jumps into Gehenna. Okay. I'm below. Rabbeinu, Makaraka, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why did you jump into Gehenna? I'm Alahem, he says to the Tzaddikim that he was with. Now that I am in the world of truth, not in the world of lies, I'm in the next world. 
atzmi, I say witness on myself, that I kept the word that I will never ever say a lie. I never ever lied. And call whatever I said I would do, Gam Kianti, I did. My word was a word, my whole life, I never lied. Listen carefully. So so why'd you jump into Gehenim? So he said, When I was alive, Kiyanti Mitzvah's pigeon shuyim. What I did when I was alive is I saved Jews that were captured. Jews that were captured, that were being sold as slaves, whatever it was, I raised the money to free them. This, where did I learn that you should save Jews? I learned it from God. God redeemed, right? 600,000 Jews from Mitzrayim. And it says that anyone who saves one Jew, it's like he saved the whole world. Doesn't it say that anyone who keeps his word all the time, you hear guys? You keep your word. Whatever you say, you keep it. Then you're a tzaddik. And a tzaddik, whatever you say, whatever comes out of your mouth, Hashem is mekayim. L'chein, therefore. And many does mekayim. Listen to what this, this Yehuda Leib said. Now, now the Vaditra Rebbe is, sees this all. He's in this, you know, semi-coma state. And he's up there in Shemayim. And he's watching this whole situation, jumping into Gehenim. The whole business he's watching, right? So now this tzaddik, Yehuda Leib, says, he's in Gehenim. He says, I'm not leaving here. I'm not leaving Gehenim until I'm able to save some of the captured souls that are burning in hell. I did this in this world, now I want to do it in the next world. Whatever you do here, you can do there. Except watch movies. The only movie you get to watch there is your life. Over and over and over and over again. And you sit there and you say, one more chance, if you would give me one more chance, I could have, I should have, I would have. And they're like, but you didn't. It's rated R for real. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so let's go on. So what happens? So he said, I'm not leaving. So now the tzaddikim said, Hey, our friend there, uh, Yehuda Leib, is in Gehenna. He's not leaving. So they said, Hashem, what do we do with this Yehuda Leib? He went into Gehenna. And he says, He's not leaving Gehenna with empty hands. Okay. So Hashem said to them, "Amar Kodesh Baruch Hu, Shiv Tchu Apinchas Shel Pidyon Shvuyim Liras Kamen Apoyish Kesev Chaim Shulai." Okay, he saved a lot of Jews. Let's open up his records and let's see how many Jews he saved while he was alive. Umatzu, and they found Mosayim veEsrim. While he was alive, he saved two hundred and twenty Jews. Oz Nitin LeRishus, so they gave him permission. Shiikach Mispas Kesev. That he could take 220 souls out of hell. Do you imagine that? You, you can't imagine that. Do you imagine those souls that were in hell? Now you have to hear this very smart. Now there's seven levels of hell. The bottom level, which is a time, you don't get out. It's not the 11 month deal. You're there forever. A couple of guys I mentioned before, that's where they are. They're in the time. They don't, you never get out. So he had a choice now. He could take 200 and 20 nefashas. So he wasn't silly to go get the guys who were going to come out anyway in 11 months. He wanted the guys who can never come out. So listen. Okay. Ma'as Rabbi Yehuda Leib. What did Rabbi Yehuda Leib do? Yorad b'madar hashvi. He went down into the seventh level. Shisham ha'yu oisim ha'nesham ha'shiyardim because those nishamas that went down there ain't no oilem they don't come out. Well, you come ha'shon and you do and they're down there for who knows how long. Ha'yitzi mi'sham kiflayim he's there. 
he walks out to the ga- gates of Gehenna, and instead of 220, he's got with him 440. He brought 440. It doesn't work like that over there. You know, he, he, he got 220. They gave him permission for 220. And he brought 440. Okay? Amalai. And Rechol Madar Shahi Oilah, you might see Gamisham. And every level he went to, I guess he didn't get all 440 from that level, he took from every single level. Bottom level, sixth level, fifth level, four. Every level he stepped, he said, I'll take two of you, I'll take five of you, I'll take three of you. <laughs> what happened? Like, the tzaddik. He's like, why shouldn't I take from this level? I'll take from this level, I'll take from this level. Okay. Ha ha ha. But there's a malach that runs Gehenna. And you're not playing no games. You got you got permission to take 220. You're not going to take 221. So the Mamuna, the one who takes care of Gehenna, said, what do you think you're doing? This is not, uh, not playing games over here. You took already more than double. So it sounds like he took double 440 from the lower level and then just kept taking on the way up. Just kept taking guys out. Zematana. It's a present. I'm taking a present. And I'm taking them to Ganeiden. So the question is you guys should have a Nayudika question here. Okay, so let's finish. The Maditra Rev said, when I saw this Sadik, I said, when I saw this story, I said, what better name to give to my grandson than Yehuda Leib? And that's why I, and I, that's why it took me four hours. I was watching this whole story, and that's why I called him Yehuda Leib. He says that I, my bracha is that my grandson Yehuda Leib should grow up, you know, to be like this, this Yehuda Leib. And us, some Chukulam, they all became happy. So the question is, what happened here, guys? This story makes no sense. His whole power was that he never lied. It was his whole power. That he always told the truth. So they said, take out 220, and he's taking out 440. That's not the truth. Hashem said you can take out 220. So he's, he's doing the opposite of what he is. Just the opposite. So Terrence is beautiful. So he turned around, and he said, Hashem... It's your fault I couldn't take out more. I died. If I would have lived longer, I wouldn't have stopped taking out. Therefore, and if I and not only that, if I would have had more money, because it went by money in those days. He said, I only had money for 220, and you only gave me enough life. But if you would have given me more money, and if you would have given me more life, I would have done double. You would have done double, take double. Now you think. So a person. The, one of the people that I that I that I love to give shiur that I listen to a shiur was Rav Shimshim Pinkus all of a show. Pinkus was an amazing man. He used to go to South Africa, to Australia, all over the place. And he used to be makar of people all the time. And five years ago, he had given nine shiurim that day. He used to go from one place to another give shiurim. He was fire. A lot of my shiurim come from him. He was fire. I think it was Erev Pesach. It was Erev Pesach. The night of Badikas Chametz. Erev Pesach gave nine shurim before Badikas Chametz. And it was very late at night. And he was in the car with his wife and his daughter. And on his way to Ofakim in, in, the, in the Negev and Eretz Yisrael, he went off the road. He fell asleep. He went off the road. He got killed. His wife got killed and his daughter got killed. All three of them. They're all buried together in Hamanuchos. And I said to myself, I don't understand. Is he a little fear? The man was 53 years old. He just started. What he could have done in the next 20 years, forget about it. 
and the Teretz is that in Din V'Cheshben in the next world when a person dies young they take his years and they multiply it in other words what did you do in your 53rd year Rav Shem whatever you did in your 53rd year the normal life that we daven for in, in Tehillim is Shivim Shana so the next fit from 53 to 70 is 17 years so you get credit for 17 years of your last year times 17 that's the way it works in the next world so if a person when he, when, before he dies he's on that highest level and he died young it's not like he goes up to Shemayim well you died 53 that's all you get no you get at least till 70 if not longer what you could have done or what you would have done and if a person had a certain amount of money and he gave it away for tzedakah then you get credit that if you would have had more money you would have given that away for tzedakah and what that would have caused that's called din v'cheshbin in the next world there's din there's judgment but there's a cheshbin what is cheshbin in English? An accounting. More different than even accounting. Accounting is more definite. A reckoning. What's the reckoning? The reckoning is if you would have had more life, if you would have had more money, being that we gave you $10 and you gave away whatever you gave away, then if we would have given you $100. So that's the cheshman. And vice versa, chas for shalom. If you, if you did these averas and that averas and these averas, there's also a cheshman. What those averas caused? How many people it changed? What it did to other people? It caused an effect. That's the din v'cheshman. Cause and effect in the next world. And that can be really big and that can be really bad. There's a very cute story um, on the George Washington Bridge. It's a true story. We all know the GW. We drive the GW. So this was a long time. I remember this. This is not that long ago. So there was a story about this guy named David. And um, he was driving to the Caskills for Shabbos. And he went out. He left Manhattan very, very late. And he saw that he's getting, the George Washington was stuffed, it wasn't moving, and here he is stuck in the middle of George Washington, and it's Shabbos. I remember hearing this story. And he's not going to make it to the mountains. The only thing he could do is park his car, walk back across to George Washington, to uh, Washington Heights, where all the echoes were, you know, there's a whole kahila there. There was a lot of Jews in there, he would have a Shabbos there, no problem. So he's like in the middle of the GW, it's Mama Shabbos, it's 18 minutes, right? So he takes his, um, okay, well, you hear what happened. Anyway, so fine. So so he leaves his car and he goes to Washington Heights for Shabbos. Nope. Fine. Um, after Shabbos. So what did, what did he do? He pulled his car to the close to the guardrail. He left his keys under the visor. He removed his wallet. It was Shabbos already. I think it was, he was using the 18 minutes. So he, he took, he didn't know where he was going to end up. He didn't want to have a wallet on him. After 18 minutes, he'd have to leave it in the street if he didn't get to a house. So he left, he left his wallet um, and hid it together with his personal effects underneath the mat where you, you know where you put your feet um, and he figured the worst could happen is the car will be stolen but he was hoping that the cops would get it first they'll tow it you know the MTA will tow it in that big tow truck and they'll they'll tow it to the pound and he'll come after Shabbos and he'll get his watch and everything everything that he has he'll get everything back alright so he felt bad because he's causing even worse delays but Mamasha wasn't moving so he gets out of his car and he leaves his flashes blinking, and he walks back across the bridge into Washington Heights. Okay, and he spent Shabbos during Washington Heights. Nope, it comes once a Shabbos, and his friend gets into his, his car. They come to the George Washington Bridge. Of course, the car is not parked in the lane on the guardrail anymore. They towed it Friday night, right? And um, so he goes to that where the toll booth is over there, and he knocks on the the, the, the what's called transit authority uh, the window, and he says he walks in. He says. Um, did you guys see a gray Honda that I left on Friday night on the George Washington Bridge? So the officer that's standing there, his eyes like get, get big, 
And he says, you mean the car that had the keys under the visor? And he goes, yeah. So the cop calls his friend Frankie. He says, come over here. He says, listen to this. Um, so this guy Frankie, who's a sergeant, comes over and he says, you, you left the Honda with the flashes on? He goes, yeah. So now he realizes they found the car. So he's, he's happy, right? Um, he says, you know the Honda with the wallet underneath the mat that had like $500 under the front seat? He goes, yeah. He says, he says is that your car? He says, yeah, that was my car. What? What's up? He says, where is it? Cop turns to him and says, you idiot. Do you know what was going on a whole Friday night? Do you know how many helicopters and how many divers we had in the water? Whoa. He said, a car left on the George Washington Bridge with blinkers on, a wallet with $500 and the key under the mat. Right away, the minute we found that, we said suicide. So a whole Friday night and a whole Saturday afternoon, do you know how much money it cost the New York Police oh, Department going scuba diving? We had boats out there. We had helicopters out there. We had sonar. We were looking for you. What normal person in the world leaves a wallet with $500 and his flashes and his keys in the car? And the guy felt like a worm. Why? Because he wasn't thinking about, he was thinking about Shabbos, but he wasn't thinking about other people. What he should have done is go to the car that was stuck behind him or pull a guy over Say, listen, this is my situation. I can't drive anymore. I'm leaving my car here. Here's my wallet. Here's my thing, whatever it is. Call me or tell the police when you get to the other side that this, I'm a Sabbath observer. But he didn't think about anybody else. I got to go for Shabbos. Ding, 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 ding. Meanwhile, the whole New York Police Department, it's a true story, were looking for the dead body in the water for the whole Saturday and the whole Friday night. Never. Imagine all these guys going at night into, into the Hudson River. Putting their life on the line, right? Coast Guard guys putting their life on the line, trying to find this Meshuggah who left his flashes and then his money. Of course, they're going to think of some money's in the car and the keys are in the car and the car is on and there's no person. What are they going to think? Of course, they're going to think that he's going to commit suicide. So, Hashem, a crazy Hashem. This person has to think about when he does something, he has to think about what the reaction to other people is. So when a person does a sin, boys, when you do something wrong, when you talk your friend to go with you to AC, and it's very innocent. Or you talk to your friends to go with you to a bar and have a drink. And it's very innocent. And then 10 years later, you find out that the guy's an alcoholic and his first drink was with you. Or you find out the guy's a gambler and he lost his house and he's now getting divorced from his wife because the first time you showed him how to play poker on a computer was on your computer. And the first time you gave him a weed, right? And now he's doing heroin and cocaine and he's dying and his liver's swollen was because you thought it was funny to show him how to smoke a stokey and have a big deal, let's roll one. And it was a big joke to you, but you didn't realize that you're leaving your blinkers on the George Washington Bridge and that reaction of taking him for his first drink or how many guys take guys to somewhere and then you don't have the problem. You're not the alcoholic. Hey, let's go for a drink. And the guy that you're taking becomes an alcoholic because he never drank before and it's wow. Or you take him in to meet a girl and he was never with a girl before and now the guy becomes a mushkas and he becomes destroyed and you get married and life is great and then you come to Shemaya and they say, remember that guy you gave that drink? Well, look what you did to his life and you watch this guy an alcoholic who lost his kids, he lost his wife, he lost everybody, he committed suicide, he jumped off somewhere because you had to take him to have fun. Oh, let me, let, let me buy you your first drink. Let me roll you your first joint. Let me introduce you to your first girl. Let me take you to your first club. Let me take you to AC. Meanwhile, he never went to AC and he won and now he won again and he won again and he's lost and he's totally lost all his money and everything 15 years later you don't even know him anymore the person has to think about the reaction of what he's doing not just what you're doing but how does he react to somebody else 
the kid that you're that you're that you that's looking up to you, what are you showing him? What are you teaching him? I always scream at these rabbis who bring these kids to their house for Shabbos and drink with them. They think it's a joke. They think it's fun, you know. But you don't know, Rabbi, what's going to happen on Wednesday night. This kid never drank before. And on Wednesday night, he's like, let's go out and have another drink. And he's in a car and he goes off a highway somewhere. Because you have to give him a drink on Shabbos because you want to be his friend. Were you thinking where that drink is going to go? Or were you thinking just about right now? What does that have to do with this week's parasha? That's this week's parasha. An amazing thing happened at the end of this week's parasha. Klai Yisrael, after everything that they went through, they came to Moshe Rabbeinu. And they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, Reuben and God had a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle. But Yiru was Eretz Yazib, it's Eretz Gilad, and they, they came before they went into Eretz Yisrael on the other side of the Jordan. But Yomav and God and Reuben, and they said to Moshe, we want to stay here. You hear, after the whole Moraglin, after the whole thing with Eretz Yisrael, these, they're finally in Eretz, at, at the border, we don't want to go because we have a lot of sheep and the land here is green and we don't want to go. Right? And Moshe Rabbeinu, he lost it. For 15 psukim, he lets them have it. Are you crazy? Are you crazy after the whole thing with the Morago? You didn't learn? Do you want to stand out? And they said, no, we'll go to war. We'll be the first ones in the army. We'll stand in front even though we don't have to. We're in the land. And they were making all kinds of deals with Moshe. And if you look at what's going on here, Moshe, and they said, Moshe, it's okay with you. You turn us to our Give us this land. We don't want to go across the Jordan. We don't want to go into Israel. Right? So Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, number one, your brothers are going to war and you're going to sit here. The Jews are going to go to war and you're going to sit on the other side of the Jordan. Right? And then he goes into this whole thing and he, and he, and he, and he goes for 15 psukim. And he talks about the whole thing that happened in the in the uh, in, in the midbar, and he can't believe that they're willing to do this again. But of course, the plastic opens up. They had a lot of money. Money corrupts. So listen carefully. So they come to motion. They say, "This is what they say. Look how money can corrupt you." They come to motion. They say, "Listen, motion. This is what we want to do. We want to build barns for our sheep and for our our flock. Po here." We want to build cities for our children. Moshe Rabbeinu said, did you hear what you just said? You want children second. You want to first take care. You want to build barns for your animals. And then we're going to build houses for our children. First we've got to take care of the business. And after we finish taking care of the business, then we'll take care of our children. Moshe Rabbeinu said, you see, that's what money does. That's what money does. First comes the business, then comes the children. Everyone wants to know why our generation looks like what it does. And Moshe Rabbeinu went off on them. And everybody asked, Moshe Rabbeinu was very, wasn't like that. Why did he go off on them? Because he felt that what they were doing was not only going to affect them, but it was going to affect the whole cholesterol. You're going to war now with seven nations, right? You need everybody. All of a sudden, two and a half tribes say, we're not going we're going to hang out here because the grass is greener on this side, literally. That's where, that's where it comes from. That's what they said. The grass is greener on this side of the Jordan. And all of a sudden, Moshe Rabbeinu said, if you're going to do that, the whole, the whole climate soil is going to fall apart. The person has to think about what they do, what it's going to cost to somebody else. I did a pigeon Ben today, Baruch Hashem. Pigeon Ben is very, I'm a crane. It's very unusual today because it has to be a boy, number one. If you have a girl, there's no pigeon Ben. Number two, it has to be born naturally. A Caesarean, no pigeon Ben. The breach, no pigeon on Ben. The woman can't have a miscarriage 40, after 40 days, also following pigeon on Ben. Then on top of that, it has to be that there's no Ben Levy, no Ben Cohen. It's very unusual. Baruch Hashem had a pigeon on Ben today. So, I was the client. 
So in the Pidyan Aben, you ask the father, what do you want more, your son or the five or the five dollars? I'm like, I hope he doesn't say the five dollars because <laughs> the kid's 30 days old. I don't want to be up. I did that. I don't want to be up all night with this kid, right? So, Baruch Hashem, I did 20 Pidyan Abens and every time the father said, I want my son, right? Baruch Hashem, it's scary. Sometimes I have a kid that's colicky. Kid's crying. The both parents are standing there like, keep him. We'll keep the, we'll keep the five bucks. You keep, you're the client. You're a good guy. We'll do the Pidyan Abend when he's two. You keep him till he's two. Baruch Hashem, these parents didn't say that. So, the question is, why does the father, why are we asking him this question? What do you want more? Your baby? And, and you have to remember, it's his Bukhar. It's his firstborn baby. It's the first child. So, of course, there's a love there that, you know, first kid is like, eh, he ain't giving it up for nothing, right? So, even though 30 days, they're not exactly handsome at that point. But they're still not giving him up. And why are we asking him in public? What do you want more? It's a silly question. Of course he wants his child more. And the Tarot says that we need the father to say out loud so that the father hears it and everyone that's there hears it because it's the first child. First child sets the precedence. Why did the first child get double? Because you, that's your, that's your, that's, that's the kid, your, your, your lab, your lab rat. That's the one that you test everything on. You know what I mean? Hit him, see how he reacts. You know, yeah. The second kid, you're not hitting him anymore. You know, the first kid, the Bukhari gets doubled. There's a reason he gets doubled. Because the parents, that's, that's their practice, a dummy. Right? Because it's the first kid. They never had a kid before. So he gets it over the head all the time. They try out what they can do, what they can't do. Never. And the Bukhari gets doubled. That's why he gets doubled. So the Bukhari sets the precedence. So therefore, we are saying to everybody, to the father, what is more important to you, your son or money? That's what we're asking him. That's what the Kayan is asking him. Hey, mister, what's more important? Your boy, giving him time, being mechanic him, learning with him, bringing him up, or your business? And the father has to answer, my son is more important than my money. And that we put into every Bukhar Every pigeon I've been, that is, the father has to say, my son is more important than my money. And everyone that's sitting here that doesn't have children, is not married yet, is thinking, right, well, he's talking stupidity. Of course, when I get married and I have a child, we're going to go to the zoo. <laughs> Every Sunday, we're going to go to the sprinkler, to the aquarium, to the Yankees. I'm going to go to the circus with him. And what happens? It doesn't happen. Because at that point, first of all, the kid's crying and nagging. You're like, I'll take him when he's 14. You know, I'll, you take him right now. But you're busy and you're trying to make a living and the bills. And, and that dream, that fantasy that you have of when you get married, I'm going to spend time with her and I'm going to take her shopping and I'm, we're going to go here and we're going to honeymoonish. My... It has to be a concentrated, it doesn't just happen. It has to be a focused, concentrated thing. And most of us know that because most of us didn't have time with our fathers. And they were busy in their business. And they didn't have time to talk to us. And they didn't come home every night and sit with us. And Sunday morning, you didn't even know what he looked like because he had that stupid New York Times on his face. And you're like, is that dad or is that a monster behind that paper? Because, you know, the whole breakfast like, yeah, I spent time with my son every Sunday morning. We had breakfast together. And the kid's like, where is he? You know, because the father's reading sports section. Sunday, very important sports section. Right? And a whole week, he's reading the Wall Street Journal. Let's see what his stats for the week. So the kid doesn't know what his father looks like. He's like, he doesn't recognize him. He thinks when he's growing up, his father's face, instead of having two eyes and a nose, says, New York Times. And it has a bunch of letters on it. You know, that's, what, that's my father, because that's all I see. You know, we get to see his face. So a person has to focus, and therefore the client makes him say, I am want my son. You said it. You want your son more than money. So then treat your son and give him more time than you give your money. And I, I made that speech today by opinion on that. 
And that's what happened over here. Klai Yisrael, what? What's that because the Bukhar, the Bukhar is, is the, if you straighten him out, the rest of them fall into place. That's the truth. That if you, if you, if you have a good, a good chinuch with your oldest son, then it's much easier. The rest, the rest, the rest much, you know, not always, but most of the time they fall into place. And the Bukhar is the first child you have. So if you, if you say out loud, that I will give my child is more important than money. Then every child is I, my child is more important than money. Mr. Mother is about Levi also. Mr. Mother is about Levi also. It's very unusual. Okay, so I want to end. Anyway, so that's why Moshe Rabbeinu smacked him on the head for this because it's bad enough that you you want to stay on the other side of the Jordan, but here you're affecting all the other Jews. If they can stay, then one. I can't stay. Then why should I stay? And if they're not going to fight, then I'm not going to fight. And a person has to think that every deed that we do and everything that we tell our friends and everything that we set an example, you have to understand there's going to be a din and a cheshbin. What you did and what you caused, your cause and effect, you're going to be paying forever, good and bad. You got a guy to go to Minyan and you got a guy, he became religious and his grandchildren are religious and his grandchild became the girl of Adar, it's all yours. That's din and cheshbin, it's all yours. You didn't teach the kid, you didn't have the kid, but you caused it. You're the cause. The child's the effect. So a person has to think every time we do something, what we do, we talk by davening, and some kid sees us talking by davening, and then he talks by davening. So it's not just your Avera, it's what is going to happen to him. And then he's going to talk by davening, so his kids are going to talk by davening. And his grandchildren are going to talk by davening, and you're going to sit there, and they're going to just, like a marshmallow. Turn them over. That's the grandson, turn. Turn them over again, like a barbecue chicken. That's his great-grandson. You're going to like, leave me alone, I want manucha. I'm in Ganeiden. Pull them out, because every year by the yard site, they judge you again. So you could be in Ganeiden, you get pulled out and thrown into Ganem. It's not a guarantee. Every single year. And then when Mashiach comes, it's the big judgment day. So what happened from everything you did when you were alive? Now let's look at the end of time and see all the cause and effect that you did. And that's when they make the decision. Very little on, on what you do. Much more on the cause and effect of what you do. That's huge investment. Not how much money you put into it, it's what it, how it grows. Right? How it grows, the percentage. Why do we go into certain banks? They're giving me 8%. I want to go to that bank. They give me 10%. I want to go to that bank. So you have to think when you do a mitzvah, when you help somebody, you're getting 20%, 100% generations, generations, generations. They call it FedEx packages. Person says, and gets a, you did this mitzvah. You did, I didn't do that mitzvah. What are you talking about? Yeah, but you got this guy to come to a shear. He changed, married a different girl that he was going to marry. They had children, and you're just sitting there in the Bahamas. <laughs> and they're just sending you good things and good things and good things. Mamish, FedEx isn't FedExing. Smart person. Smart person has to think. So I want to end. And don't leave your car on the George Washington Bridge with the blinkers on. Okay. So I want to end. Amazing story. Amazing story. I never said the story before. I saw it this week. There's a lot of amazing stories in the, in the Ahavas Chaim. But I want to read you this story. It's amazing. It's a little... Okay, listen carefully. And we'll end with this. Three minutes. All right. He's calling from the Bahamas. He's like, you gave them enough tonight. You know, I'm trying to relax. Now they're going to, now I have to come after them again. All right. So it says like this. He doesn't have your number. <laughs> Trust me, he doesn't have his number. Deleted. All right. Anyway, listen carefully. So he says a story like this. I don't know if there's a Hassam Seifer where everyone wants to say it's from the Dr. Chaim. Listen to the Neudika story. Nope, not the Dr. Chaim. That was the Badichiva. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Oh! Nope. I'm a little mixed up tonight. It is from the Dr. Chaim. Hold on a second. Okay, it was about 
which I think is a safer from maybe the Badichava. Anyway, he, he writes Rav Levi, Rav Yitzchak, he said that he was in the city of Vilna and he saw a story written in the library of Vilna. They had the stories written of what happened in Vilna. Okay, listen carefully. Maybe take a story. He said there was a very rich man and he did a lot of good deeds. And he was married for a very long time. He had no children. And his wife died. And after his wife died, he was very rich and he was left alone. And many Shatchanim came to read him a shidduch. But his family didn't want him to get married because they wanted, if he dies without children, they're going to get the Yerusha, they're going to get the inheritance. And he didn't know if the reason he didn't have children was because he couldn't have children or his wife couldn't have children. So they read him a young girl and he wanted to have children. So he married this young girl. And he was married to her for a long time. No children. So he realized that the reason he didn't have children wasn't about his wife, but it was him. That he, was, he had a problem. He could not have children. One day, his, this young girl comes home. She's pregnant. So he knew that it wasn't from him. <laughs> he knew that she committed znus. She was married to him. And she went with it. She had gotten pregnant from another man. And he knew that his, the child that she was pregnant with was a mamzer, a bastard. He knew this. So he went to the, he went to the rabbi, the rabbi of the city of Vilna, who was a very, very big tzaddik. And when the baby was born, she gave birth to a boy. Now this child was a mamzer, because he was born out of adultery. And he didn't want to tell anybody about it. He didn't want to be mafasim and embarrass his wife. And he made like he was very happy. Imagine all these years, married, no child, married, no, now he has a child. And he made a big su'uda, and he made a bris milah, and the, the rub of the city was the moil. And when he did the bris, he did it in such a way that this child would never have children. Because a mamzer, which is hidden, is going to have children, then people are going to marry the children, and the mamzerum will get mixed into Israel, and the halach and the tzairiz, now I know what you're thinking don't think what you're thinking he just did a little incision somewhere that it would not it, it would end up that, that he would not be able to have children he didn't do what you think he did <laughs> so because then everybody would have seen that they would have known that there's something wrong he, he made him what's called he made him what's called a uh, a whatever he cut a certain vein that, that, that nobody could see nobody would know okay the Rav Listen carefully. The Rav, after he did the bris, and he did that, when he was picking up the, kni- the, the knife, he passed it past the baby's ear, and he cut a line into the baby's ear, a simon. A little line, a little cut, a scar, into the, into the ba- top of the baby's ear. Okay. And that's it. They asked the rabbi, why'd you do that? And he said, there was an accident, but you know what? He said, from a very rich parent, and everyone will always know who he is by this. You'll never get mixed up who he is. Well, no, the boy with the scar on his ear. But what he was saying was that he's different. Okay. This kid was brilliant. Brilliant. And he was, went through yeshiva, blew everybody away, and he, he became like, he, he was arguing with all the Tamidah Chacham in the base Medrash, and he would, he would curse them out, and he would make fun of them, but he was very, very brilliant. And 
One day, he cursed somebody out, and the person turned to him and said, who are you to curse me out? You're a mamzer. So he went back to his mother, and he said to his mother, they're calling me mamzer, ma. What's the deal? And she said, what happened, happened. Here is money. Run away from Vilna. In Vilna, everybody knows who you are. And leave. And she took all the she took whatever was left the money through her son, and he left Vilna, and he went to a huge yeshiva. He was very very brilliant in Rome, the Iromi, and there he learned until he became the best talmud in the yeshiva. And there was a very rich Jew, and he was very wealthy, and he wanted the best boy in the yeshiva. Nobody knew this kid came from Vilna. No one knew about the air. No one knew about anything. So. He had a very beautiful daughter. He went to the yeshiva and he asked the yeshiva for the best guy. And this was this guy. So they gave this boy to, the, to, to this guy's daughter. He didn't tell anyone that he came from, the, from Vilna. He just said, I come from another, another city. It's not important where I come from. And he married this girl. Father was very happy. And he was very close to his father-in-law. And he loved him very much. And he lived in, in Rome for many years. Okay. But of course he had no children. He could not have children. Okay. Anyway... The rabbi of Vilna came to Rome many years later to collect money for his yeshiva. And he gave a drasha. The rabbi, when he used to come to collect money, he used to make him speak. Right? What do they call that? Uh, something in residence? Rabbi, oh, scholar in residence. So they made him speak. He got up and he gave a whole shir. When he finished the shir, this boy got up and ripped that shir to pieces. <laughs> to pieces. Now the rabbi didn't write didn't recognize the boy but he never heard someone rip up so the rabbi said okay okay tomorrow I'm giving a shear before Mencha and he prepared a crazy shear he said this shear no one's ripping up and he got up and he said a whole pimple and when he got finished this boy got up and ripped him to smithereens ripped it to smithereens so the rabbi became very embarrassed and he didn't recognize the boy after Shabbos so he wanted to leave and the Gvir liked what he saw that the rabbi and his son-in-law were going at it he liked it so he said to the, to the, to the rabbi how much money are you going to make on your trip $10,000 I'll give you $10,000 I want you to stay in my house for the next week and I want you to learn with my son-in-law not knowing that this was the Rav who was the Moyle who did the mark on his ear and the whole story who knew that this kid was a mamzer okay not knowing anything so fine good deal so they sat together, and he went with him, and he, he saw that this kid was just blowing him apart. Anyway, Mati Chavez, he was learning with him, and he looked at his ear, and he saw that mark on his ear, which he had given, and he realized who this boy was. And he ran away, he went right away, this boy was a mom, he's not allowed to marry a Jewish girl. So he right away went to the father, and he took him to a secret place, and he told him the whole story, and... The Gvir said, here's money, get out of here and, and leave my house and leave, the, and leave Rome. Okay, now the Gvir had a problem though. His daughter wasn't allowed to be married to this, to this boy. So the Gvir, when he heard this, he felt he got sick. We came weak. And his son-in-law came and said, what's going on? Why, why are you so depressed? And he told him. He said, why are you chayla? And he said, he said what he t- that the Ruff told me that you're a mamzer and that you can't have children. You'll never have children. And... I love you very much, but I, you can't stay married to my 
you can't stay married to my wife, to my daughter. And he, he right away wrote a get. This boy wrote a get right away to make the his, his, the, the daughter free. And he left and he left Rome, and he became became a Christian. And he began well, actually it doesn't say Christian. He became Yovanis, Greek, and um, he began to leave Chachma Yovanis. Chachma Yovanis is uh, Hellenism, right? And he became very big in hell. He was brilliant. He became very big in Hellenism, and he also learned magic. He also learned how to see things, Kishuf. He went into the other side totally. He went to the other side totally, and he became a huge Kaimer, which is a priest. Um, I don't know in the Roman times it was a priest, but one of the very big in the in the in the in the in the faith. Anyway, after that, he became even greater, and in Rome. He became one of the biggest in Rome. And now, this rich man, after he, this kid left, he was very wealthy, and he had a lot of competition in Rome from the Gaim. And they were very jealous of his money. So the Gaim decided that... Now, of course, no one knew who this guy was. He became one of the Roman, big Roman people, and no one knew who he was. And he was in the, on the other side, totally. Now, these, these people who were jealous, they didn't know what to do. So they found a, a Roman guy who had ten children, or many children, and they paid him a lot of gold to get one of the children. They bought one of the children. They took this child, they killed it, Pesach, Ere Pesach, and they dumped it on the, and the, they dumped it in the, in the courtyard of this rich man, and they called the police, and they said that the Jew, this rich Jew, killed the, the, the non-Jew for the blood to make matzahs. And they, of course, they went right away, and they, they, uh, arrested the rich man, his daughter, which was this guy's ex, right? His daughter, and the whole family, and they put him into jail. And they brought the mishpat, the judgment, to this guy. He was the top man in Rome. To this boy, who was the mamzer, who was now on the, you know, in, 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 the, in the other religion. So they brought the case to him. His father-in-law, his ex-father-in-law, and his ex-wife. They brought the case to him. And he knew right away what was going on. And he said, okay, this is what I want. I want to bring you to bring this man with his daughter, and I want you to bring two huge pyres of fire. I want you to build two huge pyres. It's a like a um, what you do outside a fire, not a fireplace, um, uh-huh. a bonfire. I want I want you to build two huge bonfires. Everyone thinking they're going to throw the Jews into the bonfire, right? And bring everyone here, and I want you to bring the uh, people who found the body. Okay, so they came. Listen carefully. Now you're a story. And standing on one side was this Jewish man, his daughter, the one that divorced this guy. Standing on the other side were the Goyim, who said that this man killed. And standing in the middle was this mamzer, this Jewish mamzer, this guy standing there after everything that happened to him. And he has to make the judgment. But he knew Kishof. He knew magic. And he said, bring me the baby, the, the boy's body. And they brought the boy's body. And he put something in the boy's mouth, which from the other side, certain shamos, so that even a dead body can talk. And they still can do it today. There are people that know how to do it today. And it's called Yudayinim. And he knew how, he, he had learned this, Kishif. And he let the, the boy talk. And the boy got up, the boy spoke, and the boy said that these people over here, they bought me from my father for, for a certain amount of money so that they could kill me. They killed me this and this place and this and this night. And so that this man would get into trouble. And the whole thing was a setup. And everyone sat there. They were in amazement. The boy talked. The dead body talked. 
So he was the head man in Rome. So he said, everybody here heard it. My edict is that the goyim, that the people that killed the boy have to be thrown into the fire. The father who sold his son for this has to be thrown into the fire. And anybody involved, this was murder, has to be thrown into the fire. And the police took all the goyim and they threw him into the fire. And the Jewish guy was standing there. If anyone in this room can imagine, I'm sorry that it's so late, but it's just it's a story I never said before. And when I read it, my heart and just together with how I opened the shear with that woman, Shema Israel. Listen carefully. So now, if you can see this scene, all these guys are thrown into the fire. All the Romans are standing there in the amphitheater. Here's a, a Jewish man with his daughter and his wife, and standing in the middle is this big Roman. And everyone said, "My high, what's the other fire for?" And this mamzer, this child, who is. He was made not to have children, who had his ear cut, who was thrown out of everywhere, turned around to all the Romans and said, I'm a Jew. And everything that I learned, all this magic and all this religion has no basis, has no truth. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad and he jumped into the fire. You hear this? It's the end of the story. And he threw himself into this bonfire of fire, the Nisraf al Kiddush Hashem. And he died in the Kiddush Hashem. You can't destroy a Jewish Nishama. Nobody can destroy a Jewish Nishama. Baruch Hashem, everybody in this room, a Kedusha, your Kadash, you come from holy parents, you have holy Nishamas. We're standing in front of Tisha B'av. We're standing in front of the nine days. It's the time that Akash Baruch was looking for his children, for his lost children. It's the time for all of us. To, everyone's busy in Kirov. Let me help him. Let me save him. What about me? Hashem wants you to come back to him. Nobody's lost. If this person, after everything he went through, he knew he was a mamzer, he knew he wasn't accepted, jumped into a fire. With Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, guys, what's going to be our excuse? Hashem's not asking anyone in here to jump into a fire. Just say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Just come daven. Just don't talk by davening. That's all Kesh Baruch wants. In the schus of all these kedushim and the schus of all the Jews that died with Shema Yisrael on their lips, Kesh Baruch should bring us Mashiach and that the tish- you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.